Join me as I talk with people who express their creativity in ways that can inspire the rest of us to recognize our own creativity. And if you enjoy these conversations, please like, subscribe, and share them. Hello and welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 49, or no, 48, I guess. And I am really looking forward to talking with my guest today, who is Patty Beach. Hi, Patty. Hi. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, we're going to have fun. So, as I usually do, I'm going to start off by reading Patty's bio, and then we'll just see how things unfold from there. So, Patty is the CEO and founder of Leadership Smarts, a consultancy that helps leaders build a better world in a better way. We need that. Patty is an inclusive leadership evangelist who combines leadership best practices and coaching to transform managers into the best boss ever and executives into inspirational role models that can scale and grow the company. Patty's also the author of the best selling book. The Art of Alignment, A Practical Guide for Inclusive Leadership, and The Versatility Factor Profile, An Assessment for Gender-Intelligent and Inclusive Leadership. And I just wanted to read a quote from your website, Patty, which goes like this. The promise of leadership is alignment. As a leader, your job is to guide us to row together, to amplify each other's contribution, to engage us in a creative exploration that evokes our common passion, and create a truth-telling culture that helps us achieve our mission. Fulfilling that promise gets the best ideas implemented. There is an art to getting people to align behind a goal and feel on fire to deliver it. Our practice is dedicated to developing that art form and helping you master it. So, noble indeed. Yeah, it's a, it's a big mission, but it's it's exciting and fun. Well, you know, as we were just chatting earlier, when I started this program, it was initially to just have people take a look at what their definition of creativity is. And so many of us think, oh, it's only art or it's only dance or music or something traditionally in the arts. But when you think of it in terms of innovation and seeing things new and building from what has been to create something that is much more adaptive to the way we live now, it's really useful to see that because as we were saying, many people are are working and living within a particular structure or a model. But once we have that in place, then we have the opportunity to dance with it and see what else can emerge from that structure. So that's that's a wonderful jumping off point. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm thinking as you're talking about how so many of us have been forced into creativity, having gone through the pandemic and all this disruption. Yeah. So every time that we're inventing something new, a new response to how to show up in the world or something that hasn't been done before, we're in creative energy, or even if we're doing something that has been done before, but we've never done it before. It's our, we, it right. requires our creative energy to make it happen. And I really wrote this book about co-creativity because creating ourselves is enough of a challenge to be brave enough to put yourself out there to try something new you know, in a way you need your own personal alignment to do that. But co-creativity is even a bigger challenge. If I've got something that I want to do, build a business or create a new software or 
do an art studio or do a new form of art. And I want people to be a part of it because I can't do it alone. That's where co-creativity comes into uh, play. Just all too often, it just feels daunting. You're like, oh, forget about it. Like it's like herding cats or it's just too too much of a hassle. And so we give up on that. Meanwhile, there's so many things that are requiring co-creativity right now. Like I can't solve social justice problems alone. I can't solve global warming alone. You know, those are the bigger things, but there's even smaller things like solving the problem of how we're all going to come back to work uh, post pandemic and a hybrid workforce Some people at work, some people not, you know, these are co-creative problems we need to solve together. Now you devote some time in your book to that question of co-creation with uh, collaboration and ownership. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So a lot of people, the book is about leadership, specifically about business leadership. And so many people come from a patriarchal paradigm Mm -hmm. where it's about top down selling and telling or being charismatic and getting people to follow you. So there's one person in charge and many people, you know, on just moving in that direction. And that is appropriate in some cases, but I think right now what we're needing is more co-creativity where the leader convenes the group and really taps the wisdom of the group and gets everyone involved in bringing their own gifts and talents in their own way so that we are rowing together. We feel some sense of momentum from rowing together, but it's not like a machine where you're in lockstep and you can't move out of your, you know, pattern of what you're doing. So that's really what the book's about. And, um, it has these three principles and four steps and five C's and made a very simple success formula. I call it memorable success formula because when you have this roadmap in your mind, it gives you confidence to move in that direction. Like, okay, I have some sense of what I'm doing in this creative endeavor. You know, some people are super brave, like Jackson Pollock just throw everything against it. You know, he broke all of the barriers with that, but most of us are kind of I want to do something kind of like that. Only this new little thing, you know, <laughs> we need some guidance, right? Right. right. Yeah. So it's designed to give guidance for groups to work co-creatively together so that they end up with an outcome they're all proud of and they amplify each other's contributions, as Bob Anderson wrote about in that blurb you wrote. Mm. Um, I really love this. Go ahead. Um, I would love it if you would talk a little bit more about the, the process of getting people aligned. And, you know, a while back ago, I had uh, Lorna Davis on, and she is a global ambassador to B Corp. And Mm -hmm. she did a TED Talk maybe a year and a half ago, where she talked about the failure of the hero model, which is very much the masculine side of leadership, and how that's no longer relevant. And the idea of including other people is not not a luxury anymore. It's a necessity. So I would love it if you would speak along those lines with what you've written in the book and what you've seen through your experience. Yeah, I um, I have a little different point of view in that I feel that there is this natural impulse for a person to want to create and have it be their idea or have some sense of ownership or even move in our own way. In a way, we're trying to blend the um, opposite energies of everyone wants to belong and do something together and we need to compromise in order to make those things happen and bring our full talents and energy and all of our voices. Meanwhile, it's important too to, to, to realize that 
you do sort of need some leaders and some followers, right, to make things happen sometimes. You know, if you just have everybody in the front leading, it's not really working so great. So there's a, I call it the versatile process. It's one of the, the principles of my book, uh, really moving from the patriarchy to the versarchy. The word versa means to turn. So you turn from the masculine aspect to the feminine aspect. And the four steps and the five C's that I've created has this cadence of masculine, feminine um, energy that moves through the process. And it allows for both of those impulses to emerge. The impulse of each person having their own opinion and then the impulse of, oh, what out of collectively, what, what emerges out of that that we can create together? And then in the end, who's going to own this? So often I see a lot of creative processes. It's very popular in leadership these days to get a bunch of people and put a bunch of stickies and seeing where the affinity diagram is and moving in that direction, right? And so those are all really worthwhile. But in the end, sometimes it's so collectively this amorphous thing, nobody really feels ownership of it because they weren't maybe the person initiating it or they didn't have their own little flavor in there. So it can kind of genericize stuff too much and then you lose the energy. So in my in my book, I've tried to really thread the needle with the principles and the process of leadership. Some people like principles because they're more organic and you can follow it in a flowing type of way. And some people want more of the prescriptive steps, like what are those steps and how do they work? Uh, so that then they feel some confidence, like those kind of people who maybe want to um, be told a little bit, here's how you might go about painting the picture. Of course, everybody's paintbrushes and paints are different and what they see is different. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I recall in your book, you made a distinction between having a voice and having a vo vote. Yeah, that is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Can you and especially I think especially as we take organizations that are more patriarchal and move them in this direction, yeah. separating voice and vote gives them more confidence. Like, OK, we're not trying to just make everyone happy and be democratic every time that you know, if we're going to have to make a decision and close in on a vote, it's not about popularity and things like that. It's about um, making sure we've got the right solution. Yeah. Can you spell out for people who are watching or listening the the difference between the masculine model, the feminine model, and the versatile model? Yeah. So, the masculine model when it comes to leadership is all about the parts, focusing on the parts and the goal line. I think of it like, you know, structure and logic and facts and figures and things that are tangible and um, having information that's objective. So it's just this part. We're going to go in this direction. That's the masculine side. Right. And then we have the more feminine side, which is more organic and emerging and allowing for everyone to come into relationship with each other. And it's, that's the whole coming together. So when you are in deliberation as a leader and you're bringing multiple people into the equation to come up with a solution, you wanna have some time devoted toward the masculine energy. Like what is the agenda? What are we trying to accomplish? What, by when? Um, how much money are we gonna to need to spend? All those kind of, and then we have the feminine side. Well, how do people feel about what's emerging here? Does this, is this exciting? Where's this going next? And if we have a feeling in our gut that maybe we shouldn't do this or that just doesn't feel right, can we honor that feeling enough to see what's coming up there so that when we're done, our solutions not only make sense logically or uh, statistically or however you want to look at it, but it also feels good. We know it's good in our minds and it, we feel it's good in our hearts. That's where you see the momentum pick up where some leader can move off. Like if you think of the ducks flying in formation, you know, you've got one lead duck that's like carrying everybody in that direction. 
then what happens is as that duck gets tired, another duck comes in, right? And all of those ducks know how to fly in formation because they've got the same pattern in their head of where they're going mm -hmm. together, right? And so that's, that's what can happen when you balance this versatility. And I also want to comment that it's, these are opposite energies. So you really can't do them at the same time. That's why you need to turn. The word versa in Latin means to turn. So you need to turn from the masculine energy, like let's get this done and make hay. Oh, now we need a, a part of our meeting where we have no agenda. We have a buffer in there so we can just see what shows up. We don't cram it, you know, so much. So this is another reason why I emphasize iterative co-creation, like allowing for us to come together and talk about things and have excitement and go apart and like sleep on it and noodle about it and let it emerge, see what flowers. So the next time we come together, we're almost in a new place. So allowing for that masculine feminine energy is part of the um, design of the principles and practices of alignment. What I hear in what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is what you're trading off is uh, an emphasis on, it, rather than being an emphasis on efficiency and making a decision right away for, which is very, um, shall I dare say, masculine driven. Yes, uh, it is definitely. Not exclusively, but traditionally yeah. in that, mo that model of the masculine leadership for a more holistic feeling that really encompasses your gut. Because it seems to me that if you make that old Ben Franklin list of pros and cons about making a choice, ultimately, you still go with your gut. And what I hear and what you're saying is that that's a very important ingredient to the leadership model that you're suggesting. It's an important ingredient to leadership and creativity. Our, our guts, our hearts, there's more of us than just our mind that we can bring to the equation to solve problems together. And you would be amazed at how much intelligence comes from just your, your gut feeling or your heart, like, you know, the, the, the emotion that gets conjured up. A lot of times in a masculine environment, we want to suppress emotion. We say, oh, that's too touchy-feely. You know, we, we denigrate emotion. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, why would you want to shut that off? It is a source of power, fuel, energy, ideas. We want passion in the work environment. So that's a key thing that leaders learn how to balance. We don't want to go, you know, crazy and have some anarchist, you know, emotional um, crying fest or something, right? You know, but somehow we get this idea that we got to be either masculine or feminine. And I'm not advocating for that. I'm at, I'm advocating for masculine and feminine. And I believe everyone of every gender identity, whether we're male, female, or we call ourselves by something not so binary, you know, whatever, however we describe ourselves a balance of masculine and feminine energy independent of our gender is healthier. It's a healthier environment to live in, to lead in, to work in. And so I'm really advocating for leaders to get over their, their fear of the feminine and their misogyny. It's internalized misogyny that men and women carry. I mean, I know that sounds extreme, but there is a piece of that that's happening where we've somehow made masculine superlative because we see it strong and feminine as weak. Meanwhile, feminine has its own strength. And ideally, we're able to like lean into both of those strengths in order to be stronger. Like, why would you want one or the other when you can have both? It's like, yeah. would you rather have $1 or $2? Like, pick $2. I don't know about you, but $2 sounds better than $1. So, <laughs> so I'm trying to get leaders, you know, to recognize, oh, I, oh, when you call it, why do you call it massive feminine? People have negative reaction. 
I actually conjure that negative reaction so that people can confront their fears of it. Yeah. What does it mean that we, we can't honor that both of these sources of power and energy are valid and important, equally valid, and important, and ideally complementary to one another when in balance. Don't you think that's part of our conditioning? You know, that we've, we've grown up through education, through most religious teaching, through the schools, through our families, that we, we see things in one way or another. We, we rarely include everything, and yet a whole human being is not just the one big head. You know, there's yeah. head, heart, yeah. gut, there's everything. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious as to whether you find uh, much pushback uh, in the corporate world and whether there are areas that you see it more or areas that you see it less. Well, I get it's kind of interesting because I feel like I've cracked a little a code around this in that I feel like I'm able to bring forward this idea of versatility in many environments where other people were not able to do it. So for example, I started my career as a geoscientist working in the energy industry in Texas. That is a very masculine environment. Meanwhile, I found them to be very hungry for this concept. When I introduced the concept of masculine and feminine energy being something that all everyone had, and that the way we think about masculine and feminine energy, what, what we allow men to do, men and women, right? Men and women put men in the man box and say, you have to stay in this little square. Men, no cry, no do this, et cetera, and create this whole code of conduct. And then, you know, we've complained that, that men or but men and women have put women in the, um, in the box too of what we expect of them as females. And this is all stereotyping. It's very destructive. So sometimes I get some pushback because people confuse what I'm talking about, which are the masculine feminine archetype with stereotyping. And they assume that I'm saying, oh, women are feminine and men are masculine. And, you know, we need to be opposite. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm really suggesting that we all have this energy, this complementary energy, better in balance. You can call it yin and yang. You can call it masculine feminine. You can call it pink or blue or whatever you want. Meanwhile, it's important that we all embrace it. And when I bring that message to masculine environments, there's a sense of relief. Like, oh, I don't have to be in this man box. Um, I see what you, you mean. People. People have pushed me and said, oh, you're this masculine thing. When meanwhile, I know I have feelings, you know, so I have seen men and women in those environments um, really be excited about the idea. Oh, I'm a versatile person. You know, it's a universally positive word. Right. But it takes a little bit of explanation and spelling out for them because we've been indoctrinated very unconsciously in masculine is strong and feminine is weak. Therefore masculine is better than feminine and the business environment is very much steeped in this point of view. I mean, but meanwhile, humans know when, when we step back and look at it, we're like, Oh yeah, it doesn't have to be like that. And the younger generation, they're fine. Like, I was just going to ask you about yeah. that, whether you see the, the millennials in the workplace or workplaces where there is more diversity, whether there's a difference in how they approach leadership. Absolutely. Style. Millennials are in a completely different place than our generation. And it's so exciting to see it. And I think a lot of it is because a lot of millennials were raised in families where the mother and the father worked. 
So they saw their mother's masculine energy and they saw the father contribute to raising the kids. I know my husband was very involved in raising my kids. So they got more of a blended experience and they didn't get so trapped in this box the way, the way that people my generation were. Uh, I'm the end of the boomer generation. I was born in 63. So my parents and all of my siblings were in this, you know, my parents were in the Second World War and we were raised from depression to Second World War, et cetera. And it was all about industry, very masculine, et cetera. The women stayed home and all that stuff. But since women have actually, since the advent of birth control, that's really what blew all the doors open. Once men and women could decide to have small families, then they had more options. Then women could go to work. Men could be involved with the family. Prior to that, we just didn't have any other option. We're just stuck with eight or nine kids and dad having to work all day on the farm or whatever it was, you know, that's not a reality anymore at all. And you don't even have to have kids these days. Right. So there's so many more options for how you live your life. Isn't it interesting how when women started entering the workplace more and more, they imitated that masculine leadership style. Well, in order to get ahead, I have to be like them. So there's been a an evolutionary process to understanding the nature of leadership and and not just leadership, but just in general, that evolution. Like we don't, as you're saying, we don't have to be one or the other. We're we're all of it. We're right. versatile, we're creative, and we can take advantage of it. Yeah. And as we go through the day, you want a masculine phase and a feminine phase. You know, you need to work hard and take a little break and then go back. And, you know, that's where your your ideas emerge. But definitely, I think that the industrial military complex that came out of Second World War, you know, with machines and science and all that kind of stuff, moved us into a very masculine era. And we're coming out of it now. Uh, because I think the internet is helping with that. There's more connectivity, more of a, a consciousness about who we are as a whole. And so we're, we're sorting it out still, but I do think that um, we will continue to evolve to become more versatile. I believe that this model that I'm putting out there gives language, positive language that is easier to say than oh, I've been in touch with my feminine side or I'm asking, you know, it's like a big blah, blah, blah that you have to say. So I've tried to codify it with language that feels positive. Like who doesn't want to be versatile? It's like being a Swiss army knife. You can get it all. Like, it sounds great. You know, <laughs> Men can claim that, you know? And so I, I've really very intentionally throughout my book, tried to find language that helps support this movement from the patriarchy to the versaarchy. That is the, the agenda of the book. And I truly know uh, and have seen many, many organizations and leaders that have moved to become a more versatile culture, have adopted these ideas around alignment, and they accomplish more than they would have otherwise. Meanwhile, they're not destroying the planet or you know, using up people in the process. It's really about helping people move from the bottom line, which is strictly about profits, which mm -hmm. is a singular focus, to the triple bottom line, people, profits, the planet, all of these things are interrelated and it's a more holistic point of view. So that's what I'm trying to support. And then backing it up with how to do it. We all get, yeah, we know we need to do this. I had been talking about versatility and teaching about masculine and feminine energy for 30 years, but when I left, it didn't really stick. People, well, I don't know what to do next. You know, um, they kind of got it philosophically or 
um, theoretically, but in practice, it wasn't in their boots. And that's why I added on these other uh, practices of alignment, the four steps and the five C's and the Shuva principle. Talk about that, would you? The Shuva principle, because I think that goes hand in hand with what you're talking about, of blending these energies of the masculine and the feminine. Right. So the Shiva principle is one of the principles, the three principles of alignment. And Shiva is an acronym that stands for the universal needs that we all have, which is the need to be seen, heard, understood, valued, and appreciated. So I'm going to say that again, seen, heard, understood, valued, and appreciated. So it takes something like being empathetic or something like being um, being valued and, and breaks it down into five actions. So sometimes in the, in the feminine, we think of things very amorphously like love, empathy, um, and those kind of things. But if we can break it down to like, well, what does that really look like in a behavior step-by-step? Step? That's where Shuva comes in handy. I call it love through the logic door. Like, you know, logical person, well, what do I do next and here and there? You know, and you think you wouldn't need that, but some people do need that. Yeah. So when you think about it for a second, I mean, isn't that what we all go to work for to get Shuva? I mean, to plug ourselves into in a place where we're valued, where we're seen, you know, otherwise it's like the tree falls in the forest. I just go out in my yurt somewhere. <laughs> and I don't need Shuva. There are some people like that. But most of us, you know, that's, we get Shuva when we feel seen, when we feel the opportunity to bring our voice to create something new, when we feel understood and what we're bringing forward. And we feel valued. Like we feel that what we have to say will actually create a different outcome. So when leaders value someone, they're able to suspend their judgment long enough to allow for that person to inform their judgment and then appreciate it. So on the backside, even if I disagree with you, if I appreciate you for bringing your energy and your ideas and your diverse opinion to the table, then I've gone all the way for Shuva. What we see in a lot of work environments is a lot of, sh you get the scene, you get heard, I see, you, I hear you, but we don't get the uva. We don't get the deeper level of leadership of really understanding, valuing, and appreciating people. And when you get all the way through Shuva, it is the path to alignment. That's our co-creative path. Otherwise, it's not co-creative. I don't get you. If I don't see you, I don't bring you to the table. I don't appreciate what you're bringing. I mean, is that, that can it be, can't be co-creative. So Shuva is one of those fundamental principles that creates a path to alignment. You, you used a couple of phrases in your book, which I really liked, which was uh, listening to learn. Which, yeah. Say a little bit more about that. Well, you know, so oftentimes we listen we think, okay, I shut my mouth and I gave you a chance to talk. This is what happens a lot of times is we think that we're listening because we're not speaking. Meanwhile, inside of our head, we're just listening to ourselves or we're waiting our turn. That is not listening to learn. Listening to learn means that I let you talk long enough to have learned something new, to, gotten, to get something that I hadn't thought of before. And when we're listening to learn, we're open to our ideas being shaped and, and co-created. This is where we go back to co-creation. It's not a turn, like you get a turn, I get a turn. That's somewhat co-creative, but it's a lot more co-creative if something emerges out of what we do together that neither you or I expect it. Yeah. A lot more exciting. 
You also said something in your book, which I really enjoyed, which was, uh, and I think you used the example of uh, one of your kids, but also equally true in a workplace, which would be really making eye contact so that you know what color the person's eyes are that you're speaking to or you're listening to. Right. I think so often we've been trained that eye contact is not appropriate. You know, you kind of keep your keep your space. And work has very much this code of conduct. And I really want to break that because there's so much information that comes from the eyes. When we look at a person, you know, they say the eyes of the seat of the soul. And so when you actually see a person long enough to register the color of their eyes, you, you register so much more of the energy that they're sending you. It goes back to we're not just heads talking here. We have our hearts. We have our our gut energy. And we can pick up on those signals because we're sentient co-creative beings. So eye contact facilitates that a lot. And I actually have an exercise when I'm coaching leaders. I say, okay, let's look at your team. So first column, write down their name. Second column, write down what's their eye color. A lot of times they're like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, well, look next time, right? You know. <laughs> next column is what do you really admire about this person? You know, what is their special sauce? Next column is what are they struggling with? You know, what is it that you notice that's hard for them? And how, and then how can you help them? You know, next column, how can you help them? And so it kind of takes them through the Shuva exercise of really looking on a deeper level uh, to who this human is that we're co-creating whatever our team's trying to do together. Well, it makes just so much total sense because how could you, how could you possibly expect someone to get on board if you don't see them as a human being and they don't feel like they've been seen for who they are because you're right whether it's whether we go to work or however we spend our time there is that hope i think that we all want to be seen and we want to be validated whether and that, that something that we do matters and can make a difference. And how could you expect anyone to get on board with something you're trying to create if you don't acknowledge that part of them? You don't know that they matter. I always say alignment is the belief that every voice matters and together we really can solve the biggest problems. That's basically the premise of it. Um, one of the things that you were just talking about triggered in me this thinking about what's going on right now with a lot of diversity sensitivity training and for me, all that is really about is giving shuva to people who normally just don't get seen. They're not in the room. I mean, how can we work inclusively if we don't have people of color in the room? And we assume that we represent them, we understand them because we're humans and they're humans. Meanwhile, there's a lot of their reality that we do not understand. So I think that, that, that the, if you think of those trainings as an opportunity to experience shuva with someone, that you just need to slow down enough to walk in their shoes to get a sense of where they're coming from so you can co-create with them. Otherwise, they're marginalized. They're not a part of that co-creative equation. Yeah. Are they going to feel safe to say what they need to say? That's uh, another so. point that you bring up in the uh, book, psychological safety. Say oh, something yeah. about that because I think that's really important. Well, you know, unless we have psychological safety and Shuva supports psychological safety, if I'm going to appreciate you, I'm going to value you I'm saying, yeah, bring it. But what happens all too often is we have, I would call it forced or fake alignment where people come into a room and they nod their heads because they're too afraid to bring their voice to the room. 
Um, and that is because they don't feel psychologically safe. They're not sure that when they bring their voice to the room, it will be valued or it will be appreciated. So for example, there've been a lot of women who've said over the years, and I know I definitely have had this experience that they'll say something is like, nobody heard it. And then a guy will say it and all of a sudden somebody hears it. Right. So that that's a, a low Shuva environment for women, you know, um, being able to create that environment. So that doesn't happen to anyone that people don't feel like they just said something and it's like, it just fell on the floor and nobody picked it up. You know what I mean? Right. Right. That's one of the things that I've really tried to create in the four steps and the five C's is a process that makes it realistic for every voice to be heard, for everyone to get to have a divergent opinion. And I know what happens is when you bring divergence where everyone truly is bringing their voice and they're not faking alignment, they're not nodding their head saying yes when they don't mean yes, eventually alignment emerges. Uh, the four steps and the five C's just make it happen faster because it's got um, a cadence to it and a pattern to it that allows for it to become co-creative faster. So that's what one of the things that's nice about that. Okay, because so you'll have to tell do. us what the four C's are and the five. Yeah, I the four steps. So the yes, four, four steps and the five C's <laughs> is a process that helps any team to come to agreement um, on whatever the solution is. It may mean that they come to agreement not to do the solution. So it doesn't mean that they're going to come to agreement on what you would hope when you start. But basically it takes uh, divergence and brings it to convergence. So we can't all row together. That's the whole idea. So the four steps are propose, probe, repropose, close. And I wrote it like a haiku to make it easy to remember, like a Anaba song to get stuck in your head. <laughs> propose, probe repropose, close, propose, probe, repropose, close, right? And the idea is that we become creative when somebody makes a proposal, like what's an idea that we can start with? And then when people start to contribute to that in the probe stage where they're able to give feedback about that idea, and then you take some time off, this is the iterative part of co-creation and take what everybody talked about and bring it into a new form. Oh, now we have a, First idea, better, that's the reproposal, and then move toward close, meaning we've, uh, we've confirmed that everybody's on board, then boom, we're off. So that's the four steps. The five C's is a process for feedback that you would use in the probe step. And it's a way of gathering feedback that is really clean and clear and allows for convergence. So the first C is clarifications, making sure everybody understands what's being discussed in the proposal. The second C is compliments. What do people like about what's being proposed? So those compliments allow for psychological safety. If I know every time I bring a proposal to the table, I'm going to get some compliments, some positive feedback, then it gives me a lot more courage to do that in the future. So then we move into the third C, which are suggested, uh, well, which are concerns. So Concerns is how usually people start. Somebody puts a proposal out there and they just start rah, ripping it apart with constructive feedback. Um, or I not so constructive. Yeah, I don't like constructive feedback. I don't like, you know, problems with it or those kind of things. Concerns are my helping you get it right. There's some risk factors or something that needs to be considered here that's missing. So when I offer my concerns, that feels psychologically safe and it feels helpful. It's adding to an idea that I've put up there. And then the next step is changes. So a lot of times our concerns then spark 
ideas for changes that make it even better. So concerns actually support that co-creative part that steps in with changes. And then the last part is commitment. So given this idea where it stands now, how committed am I? Am I totally on board, super psyched, I give it a five. If I'm like, meh, maybe I give it a one. And so ideally we're getting to where everyone is at a level three or higher, which means that everybody can at least live with it, you know, so that we can move forward to whatever else we need to do. So the five C's allow for that feedback to come in. Then the person who put the proposal out there can go offline, wrap all of that great feedback into a a better proposal, repropose and close. So simple, it's simple, it's easy to remember. Three, four, five, I mean, most people can do that. Yeah, yeah. it hangs really tight. And what's nice is this becomes a common language. So when we speak a common language, we can co-create together. If we don't speak a common language, then we're in Babylon, you know, where we can't build our tower because who knows who's doing what. So in a way I have created these distinctions, alignment, shuva, iterative co-creation, versatility, the, the four steps and the five C's as a language that when that team speaks that language, now they have the structure they need, just like you'd have a canvas to do a painting to co-create together. What happens within all of that? It's wild. I mean, it's really fun when you see teams that, oh yeah, we get, we know that step's going to come where I get to suggest my change. So I don't have to throw it in out of the randomly at you before you're ready to grab it and all that kind of stuff. It's like, knowing the rules of basketball so you can play basketball. You know what I was thinking as I was reading your book is that, so actually that maybe it's going to turn into a question, but that this way of getting everyone on board, bringing them into alignment for a vision to be brought into the world requires a certain amount of self-awareness. So I wonder if you could speak to that. But just as I was beginning to ask the question, I'm thinking, well, actually applying this model encourages self-awareness, not just for leaders, but everyone who's participating in the process. Yeah, I'll have to tell you, for all the coaches that are listening to this and people who work in organizations that help leaders and teams create a better dynamic, what is awesome is when you teach them the principles and practices of alignment and they work to come to agreement, it kind of sparks up all of our stuff, right? It'll spark up, ooh, I want my idea to be the one, or I don't have a good idea, I'm just nobody. You know, that it sparks up all of this nonsense, right? Which prevents us from working co-creatively. And so in the engagements that I have with my clients, uh, they're often more than just doing, coming to agreement using the four steps and the five Cs. I wanna leave behind a competency of understanding what they do that contributes to alignment or disrupts alignment. So I have in the end of my book, this chapter on dealing with disruptors. Disruptors are things like grandstanding or um, could be stuff like ghosting where you just don't show up. You know, there's all these behaviors that show up which are our own way of keeping ourselves safe because in the end, what we really want is to be able to belong to a group. And we also want to be our own authentic expression of ourselves. These, these are very universal needs. And when the dynamic or the process allows for both of those things, it allows me to belong as my own unique self. Then that's when it feels really good. And that's when it gets really great. Most of the time though, we're not coming from that paradigm. We're either feeling 
like superior or not worth enough or, you know, there's all this stuff. So it is important if you're going to step into this new way of operating, the versatile way, the co-creative way, the shuva way, you are going to need to get a hold of your ego. You're going to need to evolve, become a more conscious and connected person. And I love a, the distinction that you just made between superior and unique. I yeah. think it's really important. And what I'm hearing in this conversation is how much this model invites that, invites the recognition of the unique contributions that a person can make, regardless of where they are on the ladder, and also regardless of whether they have a vote or a voice. But part of this recognition of we're all in it together, yes, I'm the captain of the ship, and I need you to row along with me and 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 tell me if you see rocks ahead or exactly. the, the end of the earth. I got to know that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's part of it is if you know you don't have all the answers, then more, more um, possibilities are emerging from your world, right? So I... I really want to emphasize something that I think our Western culture, and this is actually a very masculine paradigm, that we there's this, this myth called special. Special means that I'm better than you, that I do something unique, and that makes me special. And unfortunately, in Western culture, when speaking is primarily U.S. culture, um, what we see is that there are only a few things that allow you to be special. Like if you make a lot of money or you're smarter than anyone else, or you're faster than anyone else, or you're taller than anyone else, or you're whiter or whatever it is. Right. So these, these few things that when you when you achieve that in superlative to other people, you are special. This is very different than being unique. And ideally what I like to see in a group is that we value uniqueness, that everyone is special in their own unique way, but we're all equally valuable. And that's really an important aspect. We all have good and bad in us. And my dad told me, if you look for the good in people, you will find it. And so looking for the good in each other and allowing for ideas to emerge from anywhere creates the most creative, co-creative environment, which is what we need right now for innovation, for even not even innovation. Let's say you're doing something very quotidian, you know, maybe you have a lawn mowing service or something, right? You know, being endlessly creative with that. So people love come to work and, and get to do that thing that they want to do to make a living is what can make anything fun. doesn't matter what the job is when you come with that spirit. Every voice matters and together we really can solve all of our problems. That's when you become a leader that knows how to work inclusively yeah. and for not to take forever. You know, it's not about letting everybody do something their own unique way. It's about exploring what are the possibilities amongst all of our uniqueness that we can amplify each other's contributions when we put your uniqueness with my uniqueness. Or maybe we're the same and then we're double. Awesome. You know, that's great too, right? <laughs> no problem with that, you know? That's great. I really love that. I want to read a, a, a quote, <coughs> pardon me, about uh, moonshot thinking mm -hmm. from your book. So I'll throw it in here because I think it, it brings together much of what you're sharing. Um, aim to achieve something generally believed to be impossible. Moonshot thinking frames all sorry, problems as solvable and encouraging 
Anything is possible dialogues, dialogues around how to approach challenges. When you strive beyond current reality towards a noble ideal, you provoke creativity and fresh thinking. Right. It is really fun to get people in a room and just break it open and go to moonshot. Um, I use this all the time with my coaching clients. What's like a huge thing that you want to accomplish that you just don't even feel is possible? And let's play there. Let's have a conversation about what would that look like? Because maybe it is possible. And what happens is when we get jump into that, then we can grow. So for example, in my own business, I'm always challenging my um, team. How can we reach 10 times more people than we're reaching now? So if we're going to do that 10x of our business and our impact out in the world, we're going to have to do things differently. We're going to have to shift from doing face-to-face to maybe more podcasts like this, where I'm speaking to, I don't know whoever it is that you're talking to, right? How do we reach out and, and move beyond where we currently are working? Um, I have had the opportunity to work with some amazing leaders who have just gone, you know, gone for broke to come up with some big thing, like they want to take their manufacturing plant to zero waste, or I work with another guy who's interested in saving the wetlands from North to South America. I mean, these are really big ideas. And it's exciting because what you find is that when you shoot for something big like that, you may not necessarily achieve all of that, but you achieve so much more than if you're just doing incrementally better with what you're doing. And it brings up creativity and it brings up co-creativity because now I can't do it by myself. Now I need you and this other person. And so we start to create a movement towards something. Um, I'm a huge fan of that as a methodology. And we use that in our practice or the alignment practitioners that I'm training, learn how to use that moonshot thinking to help leaders go big, you know, go for the triple bottom line, not just the bottom line um, and not shy away from it. I mean, we consider ourselves to be practical idealists. We, we definitely believe in ideal. We, we think it is possible for us to stop global warming, to, you know, survive this pandemic and come out stronger than before we have very idealistic point of view. Uh, meanwhile, we try to be practical. We try to help you say, how do you do that? Here's three principles, four steps and five C's. Where do you start? Whatever room you're in, you don't necessarily need to solve it all at once. It's iterative co-creation. Just get started. Just know it's going to take a lot of little bites here and there. Um, I love that thinking of, of shooting for the impossible because so many of us, get caught in thinking, well, I can, I can do this much and that's it. But what if we blew the lid off of that? Like, and so what, and really, so what if we don't get there? We're still in a new frame of mind. We're still open to what if, what could happen if I, or what could happen if we, and having that open-ended question can lead to so many wonderful surprises, just like my collage over here, like who knows? <laughs> It hasn't been done before. Well, let's see if we can, you know, like, and a lot of times we'll say, well, everything's going good. I'm like, well, what would be even better? You know, like, let's get to the next one. Right. And it's fun to go for something better in my point of view. That doesn't mean we don't need to exhale once in a while where we go, okay, good enough for now, but then wake up again. And what's possible. I love that game. Um, and I'm very fortunate, as I said, to get to work with people who love that game. I really wrote this book for so many people that I had coached where their vision outstripped the reality they were in. Like they're in a company and the company is at this place and they wanted to go to this place, you know, and 
how can they do that? Because they're just down here and they're not like the CEO of the company or something like that, right? So I wrote the book for those truly visionary people who can see what's out there. Uh, by the way, the word um, ideal comes from idean, which is a, a Greek term, which means to see. So idealistic people see something new and different. And this goes back to the conversation we were having at the beginning of this. What is creativity? Creativity is creating something new, hasn't been created before. So I am done with denigrating idealism. You know, people might call me a Pollyanna or, you know, a tree hugger or whatever. I'm like, I, yes, I am. I am a pot. <laughs> Absolutely. But I'm a pragmatic tree hugger and I'm a pragmatic, you know, uh, Pollyanna. Uh, I think this can be done and I know it can be done. What's been so exciting is to ride along with leaders that are doing it, that are taking their business to an entirely new level because they're thinking this way and because they're letting go of their ego enough to bring people into that co-creative sandbox to see what happens. I would think that if a company was willing to implement this process that you've designed, that there would be a lot fewer corporate refugees in the world who have something to say, have something they want to contribute, and yet can't make it happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is absolutely for them because I, I feel like a certain number of people who are idealistic like me have kind of given up on corporate and they're like, oh, forget about it, you know. Um, meanwhile, I believe the corporations are shaping so many things. They're hugely resourced places with really smart people. There is no reason that it has to become this machine that grinds people out, right? I mean, and, and there are corporations that aren't like that. I've worked with several of them that have created a Shuva culture that are excited. People are excited to come to work. Um, I actually was coaching. I, I work with this one bank, which is this fab, fabulous bank up in Alaska. It's a family run bank and it's been there a hundred years. And I was working with leaders in that bank um, and doing 360. And they would tell me, oh, things are going pretty good. And I'm like, well, let me see. I'll go do my interviews and find out the real story. And sure enough, so often I just heard marvelous things about, yeah, this is the best person I've ever worked for. And I just love what I do every day. And I don't know about you, but for most people, it'd be like, oh, banking, that sounds boring. You know, like, but they take it very seriously, serving the customers, the people in their town and it's just such a beautiful thing to see. So I just share that story as an inspiration to people who are inside corporations that do feel a little bit like they're being suppressed or their souls being killed, you know, working in the corporate machine, becoming the man, corporate man, et cetera. If you can support your organization to become co-creating and help it to become a self-aligning organization where it realigns, it doesn't say rigid, it, it moves as the world moves, as the earth moves, as millennials come into the life, you know, all of these different things, then there's no reason why it has to get, become this old rusty, um, suppress, oppressive thing. Yeah. You know, one thing I'd like to talk about, and I, I know we're coming up to the end of our conversation, at least this one, is what's the spillover for people who have the luxury, shall we say, uh, of, of working in an environment like this, where it is co-creative, where they are in, uh, the, the organization is inclusive in a way that takes into account a whole human being. How does that affect their personal lives? 
You know, um, I think that, I'm not sure if I'm answering this question where you're asking, but I'm just thinking the most precious thing we have in our, in the world is time. And so much of our time is spent at work. Uh, for most people, it's the lion's share of their time. Like a lot of people, most of their good hours are given to work. And when we can give our work into an environment that's co-creative, where we feel shuva, I mean, makes every day worthwhile. And we can bring that at home. You don't have to just leave it at work. You can shuva your kids and you can shuva your food. You can shuva your spouse. You know, you can shuva your neighbor. You don't have to necessarily leave that at work. But to have what, what we could have, we feel like we can create at home. Why can't we create it at work? Um, so I'm for every hour of the day to feel that way. For every hour of the day to be an opportunity for creativity, for shuva of the environment, I know I love my team working with them and giving them shining the light on what they're doing. It, it just is marvelous. It's a, it's a marvelous feeling to be able to do that for them, for them to do it for me. Um, it is fun to go to work for me every day. And for leaders who get this way of operating again, teams on fire that never burn out. You know, that's what I'm trying to describe in that. Have you people coming to work excited to do whatever it is they need to do every day? doesn't mean they have their tired day or they have their down day. We all have our funk day, but can we show them for that? Okay. We know you got a funk day, but meanwhile, it's okay. What can I do to help? You know, where are we going to go next and inspire them for the thing that will light them back up? It just, it just makes everything better. (laughs) I don't even know how to describe it, you know. I know. Well, it's very profound. It really, it, it has that quality of honoring the human spirit. And that's so needed right now, not just in the corporate world, but across the board, because there's so much division and there's so much exclusivity that that opportunity to recognize you as a human being with talents and skills and possibilities and potential and have a whole organization that allows that. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, I'm working with, uh, another client that, um, I didn't work with them for the last year, but I had planted all these seeds and I talked to him like this last week and he was saying, you won't believe what we have done. We have just blown the doors open. Uh, while, Everyone else in our nonprofit world is dying from what's going on. He's working a news organization and a lot of news organizations are totally dying. They are rocking it out. They have a board on fire. They have an on fire leadership team. They have a mission that they're all super, you know, charged behind They have donors excited, you know, so this philosophy has become a part of how they operate and they are killing it and they're loving doing it. <laughs> which is really fun. So I'm excited uh, uh, to go back a year later. And he said, well, we did this as senior leaders, you know, the board and the senior leaders, but we needed to get down in the shoes because we want this for everybody. So will you come back, uh, work with our team and help us to get this leadership distributed so that all of our managers are using this philosophy and and all that. So I'm excited to do that. And what was kind of cool, he's the CEO. He says, I know, you know, we've been working together, but I want you to work with my leaders below me to, to work on that so that they feel like they're owning it and they're carrying it forward. So you could see how much he'd gotten that, that he just was like, I don't even need to 
be a part of that. I mean, I am a part of it by sponsoring it, et cetera, but I don't have to be the one in charge, you know? So it was so freeing for him to get this. And yeah, they said, let's do this in the fall, in the fall, because they've been working so hard. We want to kind of give them a summer breather and give them a chance to, you know, get their um, mojo back, you know, and get right back on it. So I'm stoked to be a part of that. It's really exciting. Well, you, you have made such a major contribution to being able to even have that happen within an organization. So kudos to you for that. Thanks. That feels really good to make a difference. You know, isn't that what we all want is like coaches and consultants and you and your, your work, right? We want to be able to make a difference and help, help these shifts happen. Yeah. Yeah. Be the midwives to something wonderful. So we have come unfortunately to the end of, of this time together. Tell us a little bit about where people can find you. Again, your book is The Art of Alignment. What are you up to? How can they yeah, get Yeah, I think the best place to go is to my website, leadershipsmarts.com. We do offer free webinars on alignment uh, every month. So, you know, it's a perpetual thing. And we're also starting um, to create alignment practitioners. So if anybody's interested in learning the principles and practices of alignment and how you bring that to leaders and teams, then they might want to be a part of our uh, our certified alignment practitioner community, we call them CAPS. I mean, CAPS sounds kind of cool, like your captain or something, you know, but we're growing this army of CAPS because leaders sometimes need a little extra support, right? To have the bravery to do this work, even if they have the principles and practices outlined in the book, it helps to have a guide to support you in that. So if people are interested in, in these, they should go to leadershipsmarts.com and, uh, or yeah, grab my book. A lot of people just read the book and they're that kind of person, read something and do it. So it's always an easy, quick way to do it. They could just buy that on Amazon or if they don't want to buy from Amazon, it's available in every bookstore. Um, well, I highly recommend it. I really got a lot out of it. Yeah. Well, I've, it's been so great talking to you and I feel a lot of sisterhood in this, you know, that, that this possibilities exist for this way of operating. Yes. Thank you. I do too. I think that we could, really take it somewhere. Mm-hmm. So this will right. be, be our start. Thanks for helping me get the word out, right? Because we just got to get more people understanding what this is so they can hop on um, and be a part of it. Well, you're very welcome. It's been my pleasure. And thank you everyone who's been watching or listening. We really appreciate you being here with us and stay tuned for the next episode. So bye for now.